We want when people come here, this to be an overwhelming sense of home. Because biblical Christianity at its core is relational. If you are going to lead, you have to first be, you have to first be led. Hey, welcome to Lead Talks with the Craigs. This is season two, episode six. My name is Craig Mossgrove. And I'm Chad Craig. So glad to be with you today. Really, really glad and excited about our conversation today. So we've been in this season, season number two of this podcast, and we've been talking about the feeding giants. Mm -hmm. And so obviously it's kind of an Old Testament parallel of giants that the children of Israel had to fight, but they're now giants um, that are scriptural, but not just scriptural, now practical giants that we face in everyday life. And we've been talking about all kinds of different giants, giants of conformity and giants of fear and fear. giants mm -hmm. of overwhelming odds and giants of religion. Today, we're going to talk about two other real personal giants, personal, yeah. right? So giants that you face, giants that I face. And so I'm excited, first of all, if you're new to the podcast, this is Pastor Chad Craig. Pastor Chad, he pastors alongside myself uh, at Dwelling Place Church in Woodstock, Georgia. And uh, really excited to just get to hear from you and your own personal story, Pastor Chad. Yeah. But um, first of all, uh, we'll just start kind of with uh, just a kind of a baseline question. And the baseline question is, based upon... Um, your own journey with Jesus, right? So we're talking about obviously post-conversion, but like what is one of the main giants that not only have you had to face, uh -huh. I know there's been many you've had to face, but you felt was real monumental and when you finally defeated that giant. Um, what are, What is one of the main giants that you've had to face and, and defeat in your journey with Jesus? Yeah, well, I like to, to refer to it or call it spirit of delusion, okay. giant of delusion. Gotcha. And, um, you know, I think when I look back at that period, uh, it it all that I went through stemmed from delusion mm -hmm. and the enemy seeking to cloud judgment, cloud real you know reality. And so using delusion more of like a many different way, I guess like a break with reality, a cobweb that the enemy had constructed well, in your life. Yeah, right? well, I think of it this way: there there's physical giants. Mm -hmm. Like some people, the greatest giant they're facing could be cancer. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right, a yeah. physical disease, leukemia or something. Yeah. For me, it was a soulish giant. Mm. And so the soul's made up the mind, will, and emotions. Mm -hmm. And it was dealing with scrambled lack of clarity and reasoning and delusion in the soul. And so in my perception, in my viewpoint of what was taking place, uh, in my emotions, my emotional stability, yeah, um, aspects of, of my will and volition of what I wanted and and desires and these competing desires. And so there was just a, a cloudiness of delusion. It was like a giant that was blocking the spiritual impulses that I had been walking in, oh. even the season before. You know, it's like I turned a corner mm. and the whole window got foggy. Yeah, my soul instantly like changed. And how uh, many years was this after you started? You surrender to Jesus fully. Yeah, so when I surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, coming out of the brokenness I did, I mean, I went completely after him, mm -hmm. you know, hungering and thirsting. So talking about long times of prayer daily, began to fast, not because I knew anything about it. I thought every man and woman of God fasted yeah. before I knew. Uh, you know, devouring Scripture, getting into services and revival services. So I was running hard after Jesus and seeking to grow for 
Um, it was about two and a half years, and then I hit this season. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's gotcha. how I like to refer to this, John. So, John of Duluth. Can you give some examples? So, that yours is kind of the – you're going to walk us through the story, but any other examples of delusion now 20-plus years removed from that of other – situations where people had to battle the same type of delusion that i've seen it in yeah Illinois? yeah absolutely so um you see it a lot at times relationally um that something that's happened to a person in childhood yeah or emotional trauma and then they're in a relationship and something happens in that relationship that triggers that same type of experience yeah. and you know our experiences are recorded in the soul yeah right and so our memories are not just thoughts. Uh, there is chemistry involved. Oh, yeah. Right? Because yeah. The, the brain records memories through actual chemistry. So also the emotions of that moment are recorded. Attached to it. Yes. So what happens is in that triggering, I, I like to think of it like a skunk. Uh, gets re once a, once a skunk sprays, man, I mean, it is, it's overwhelming. And... Um, in fact, my kids the other day, they we were driving on the road, and we must have, you know, driven past a dead skunk, and, you know, it got into oh, the yeah. filter of the car. Yeah, and then it's and it so, came over. Oh, man. But we were talking about the kids were arguing over if you had to take a ketchup bath or a tomato bath. Tomato or orange juice. And right? I said, baby, it can't be a ketchup bath. You know how many bottles of ketchup you would have to buy? To soak yourself yeah. in a something, uh, something with a little acid in it, but it fills the whole thing. Yeah, and that's what happens is that something happens and it triggers trauma from the past and it overwhelms your your sense of stability. Yeah, and uh, you begin to have delusion, and so what can happen is they can begin to think that a person they were just at peace with in a yeah. relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, that now they're out to get them. Yeah. They're delusion. It's a break with the reality. It's a break of delusion. Why? Because they begin, those memories and hurts in the past, begin to attach to the person in front of them. Yeah. A someone, a memory of someone who in their past harmed them. Yeah. So you can see it relationally. But you, you can, bring up something unique already, and we'll probably get to it more, yeah. is that in order to really be effective in today's world of ministering to people, uh, not everything is Satan. Like you, the church going to have to be trauma informed, even. Yeah. Like people are going to have to be trauma informed, informed of what trauma does to people. Correct. And yeah, Satan might have been behind the people that yeah. caused the trauma. Yeah. But what you're going through right now is maybe the heat of God's presence or God's sanctifying work. Right. Right. And circumstance has brought emotional trauma to the surface. Yeah. So and, so um, walk us through the story. How how did the giant of delusion come about? Yes, I was, um, you know, doing all I knew to do at the time. You know, I was uh, serving, uh, just serving in a small ministry and uh, seeking to grow in the new aspect of Christendom that I didn't grow up in, which is spirit-filled expression and experiencing uh, the power of God, the gifts of the Spirit, and, and being around that. And so we were in revival services, I mean, sometimes five nights out of seven and, and traveling and um, one of the things that began to happen is I began to get de depleted physically. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I would drive for, for uh, my mentor who would, you know, preach, and then we'd have to drive back uh, to where we lived. And so uh, I was getting depleted physically, not a lot of sleep. But then also, when you're not getting a lot of sleep, it begins to stem over and affect 
your spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah. So your the time you have or strength you have to pray. Prayer takes a lot of focus. Yeah, it's a lot of discipline on the flesh. Yeah. If your flesh is weary, spirit might be willing. But Jesus said that flesh gets too weary. Yeah, it's hard. so those elements begin to to come in. But it was really like this perfect storm began to align. Uh, and it wasn't just one thing that happened, even though you'll, we'll talk about the, the ultimate delusion that happened in my past that came up. But it was also other areas that needed transformation in my life that made me vulnerable to not know how to handle what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And then it was like the enemy was using delusion, almost like I, I like to think of it magic arts. He, through his lies and manipulation, he was bouncing my attention off one topic to another of, of where I needed to be transformed. And it's like you're in a tailspin. Mm. You're just in a, a cloud and funk like a skunk has sprayed you. And, um, and what was the dominating in that delusion? What was the dominating emotions you were experiencing? Hopelessness? There was a lot of hopelessness okay. and, a, and a lot of fear uh, and, and hopelessness. Um you see what happened is is when when I I grew up in mainline church and so I, I only knew a Jesus that died for your sins and one day was going to take you to heaven. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know a Jesus that through His Spirit could live within you, deal with trauma, deal with dysfunction of your past. I come from a divorced home, um, serious issues with the father figure, uh, not having uh, access to Him for years, intentional rejection by him for many years. Um, and so I didn't know a Jesus that cared about or could heal all that. Yeah. Right. And so those broken places in my life, once I got into middle school and high school led into seeking to cover the pain through one sexual immorality, but then later substance abuse. So when I got into substance abuse, because of my personality it was like sort of all or nothing, you know. It's like if, if we could s- smoke weed, uh, why not? Let's not just do it on the weekends. Let's do it every day, yeah. you know what I mean, type thing. But on New Year's Eve 1998, I had a party, and um, I had got off work early. I was working at Fort Knox at the time. And uh, back then, our Army was building a tank range mm. at Fort Knox, they were updating their tank systems for digital targets. So we were running large data cables, big trenches, put sand, you can pack it, but we were doing all the the cables and stuff for these electronic targets. But we got off work early because it was New Year's Eve, and so uh, I started, got home, I smoked a joint. Uh, I went to a friend's house, picked up uh, some acid, um, hits of acid, uh, black gel acid, dropped two hits of acid, uh, got to the house where the party was at and uh, began to drink and began to smoke more dope. And uh, throughout the night, you know, mixing drugs and alcohol, well, there came a point as I was tripping that I was standing in, in, in our kitchen. This was a house my parents were trying to sell. They mm-hmm. had built a, a a new house while I was out out my first year in college. So it was vacated. It was vacated. Yeah. It was only furniture that they weren't taking to the new place. And so, uh, my parents were fine me to have some friends over. They didn't know that I was partying and doing what I was doing, but I was standing in the kitchen at some point in the night, this is new year's Eve, 1998. And I was staring at this blue clock 
a clock that some of the generation now they say can't even tell. It was one of those analog clocks. Anal- uh, well, big hand, yeah, small the analog, hand, yeah, yeah, seconds. And I was staring at it, and it seemed like five minutes, and it wasn't moving. Well, it wasn't moving when you're in your rational mind makes sense because it didn't have batteries. Yeah, we hadn't been living in the house, but in my scrambled mind, I heard in that moment I was looking. It's too late. You're in hell. I heard that. And when I heard that voice hit my my mind, it's like someone threw the darkest, thickest blanket you can imagine over my being. Mm-hmm. And the level of fear and anxiety that hit me was so great. Again, this was my party. I ran upstairs in my old bedroom, and I found there was a book of Romans that I had got in a concert at the Mainline uh, Baptist Church I grew up in. It was an Al Denson concert, I remember. And I began opening that little book of Romans and screaming scripture and running around the house to the top of my lungs. Well, you can imagine, a lot of people there didn't grow up in church yeah. and weren't attending church. They're unbelievers. They're high. The demons did not like it. I began to be chased. And, of course, I'm hearing delusions and lies in the moment, a break from reality. And so I go and I lock myself in a room, the only room that had a bed still in it. And uh, I, I said, God... If it's not too late, I don't want to be forever in hell. Mm-hmm. And I began to hear, like, we're going to torment you. And and like the Jesus used to serve. It's the thoughts I'm hearing. And on the side of the bed, there was a little round table like this, three-legged, though, with a a tablecloth and a, and a glass dome. And in between of the dome was a candle. And I remember I grabbed that uh, dome. Because my intent was, is I was willing to do anything to get out of the hell that I believed I was in. Right. And I slammed that glass on the edge of that table. When I did, I had a, a piece of glass still about that big in my hand, and I slipped my wrist right here. And and no one knows how long I was in there, but one of my friends, God used to pick the lock, and I had just nicked an artery, so there it had squirted some of the blood. So he saw blood in the room, and uh, they called the ambulance. But I say all that to say that you go. That was previous to surrender to Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So this is not the two years after Jesus. No. This is what the precursor to this. This is the precursor. Yeah. So I say all that to say, if you go through something like that, and and this was in the state of Kentucky, regardless of the circumstance, it's minimum 48 hours in the psychiatric ward. Psychiatric ward is not a fun place, let me tell you that. And and the uh, nurse I had in there wasn't a hope dispenser. (laughs) Let me tell you that. Probably didn't need to be working there. Oh, dude. I mean, she acted like I was never going to get out of there. Oh, uh, yeah. And, you know, I'm still coming off. I mean, I'm still still a bit high. Oh, and I you talking about the level of hopelessness. And I remember there was a, a guy high on crack or something. He was in the padded cell, and I could see him across from my bed. And he was in there preaching the gospel, like <laughs> talking about Jesus and stuff, high on crack. I mean, it's just horrible. And she's like, I don't know if you're going to get out of here or anything. But you don't go through something like that. Without it affecting your soul deeply. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Deeply why, embedded. Why do I say all that? Well, when I surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and the call of God on my life, obviously he wants to sanctify me with his truth so that I can walk in the calling he has for me. So as I began pursuing the Lord, of course, he began dealing with stuff in my life, but then this season hit. And literally, Pastor Craig, it was like, some of that break from reality, from those drugs, that delusion, that lack of clarity, instantly it's like I woke up one day and all of a sudden I'm having these irrational fears of being rejected by God and, and being damned to hell 
and that there was hopelessness and that, you know, there was no way out. Mm. Okay. So when you feel that way, and if you're young in the Lord and growing, the enemy, of course, is going to take every shot he can yeah. in that moment. And hone in on your feelings and emotions. And he knows other issues yeah. based on your past. Right. So he started began lying and manipulating and just seeking to um, strengthen the irrational delusions of what I was going through. And um, it was not a fun time. Yeah. It was not a fun time. And so when I read through... Was that a couple of months or of, of the strongest of delusion? Did it last a couple of months or weeks? Are we talking about a the, year? The strongest portion, the, 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 I mean, the ramped up strongest point was two weeks. And for two weeks, I didn't sleep mm. because the, the irrational despair and hopelessness Made, made your whole body go into adrenaline mode. Well, it was that if I went to sleep, I also had a fear that I wouldn't wake up and I would go to hell. Because you got to remember, when, when that happened New Year's Eve, that feeling of fear was so great that I was willing to cut myself. Yeah. I mean, think about how irrational and fearful you have to be to bring self-harm to yourself. Yeah. So that fear of it's too late, God's abandoned me, God's rejected me, I'm damned to hell. That fear is so great. I would I wouldn't wouldn't even risk trying to go to sleep. Yeah. Or if I lay down and tried to go to sleep, hearing the tormenting thoughts of the 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 giant of the enemy delusion was so strong. You know, I couldn't get outside of what I was feeling in the moment to just rest. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in a ball of knots. I mean, it's just you're tense and of course then you begin having physical symptoms. You yeah. know what I mean? If you have that much anxiety going through you and you're tense and you're forgetting to breathe oh, yeah. and your muscles are tense. And so, um, you know, you can't sleep if you're not relaxed and, and that. So two weeks without sleep, but, but it was a process several months of, of navigating through it before I began to get some sense of stability mm -hmm. to even be open to what God was trying to do. Yeah. And, and one of the things that made it so hard is in delusion, and, and I know some people that hear this will understand. I think when we hear from your story, you can, you understand because you dealt with it. I think some, but I would open scripture, but scripture wouldn't help when you're under delusion, mm -hmm. because when you're delusion, the cloud of how you're viewing scripture is wrong. Yeah. So I'd read the Psalms, and it would say like, "Oh, the teeth of the wicked to be knocked out." Well, if in a moment you're delusion of the enemy is you think you're wicked and you're being damned to hell yeah well you think that's you see what i'm saying yeah yeah it all it's all turned against yeah you. scriptures it becomes interpreted through the delusion comes Co interpreted through the color. correct yeah and so and that was one and of it's the, always self-condemning right always it, yeah. it's not it's not bringing hope yeah right um so and one of the things that allowed the enemy to keep trying to strengthen that delusion is because of growing up without healthy relationship with my biological father that made me vulnerable with my capacity to trust others mm. so the ability to go to people and say this is exactly what i'm going through was limited yeah now here's another problem you start trying to deal with that delusion internally yeah leads and to more carry delusion. that <laughs> yeah i mean you, you're in a tailspin yeah because you need outward ministry of God's Spirit through others in that time. Yeah. 
that can speak clarity and truth to you. Yeah. But if you're struggling to bring it to the light, yeah. then the hopelessness and despair increases. And so, but a lot of people in our nation—that's what—that's the, how they—that's how they face their current giants, is yeah. because of a lack. Of, we're you know the most hyper-connected generation via our phones, but least connected generation via face-to-face. Correct, and, and the people, enemy loves it. Yeah, and people being really known—I mean, that—that's a major, major issue. It's a major issue you bring up here in terms of defeating giants is that that most of these giants can't be defeated in and of ourselves. We would have already been defeating them a long time ago. If, if you can't talk about it. If you can't confess, bring others who are spiritually mature and yeah. you know uh, able to help, able to help into the situation, then the enemy's going to be able to continue to lie and trying to strengthen you in the delusion or the giant that you're facing. Got gotcha. you. You know. Yeah. So, um, so let me ask you this. Okay, and I appreciate you sharing and being vulnerable to share because it matters a lot. And so, obviously, our story is the most sacred part of our life. It's sure. our life. It is our life. Yeah. Um. What? What? Having experienced it and significantly experienced that sense of delusion, what you're calling delusion, but with that intermingled a deep sense of fear and hopelessness, right? Which are mm-hmm. very, very prevalent emotions, right. dispositions that people in our, you know, our nation are experiencing daily. What do you wish people knew about that experience that have not experienced it? So we're going to talk about it two avenues, but somebody who's never experienced that, they've never engaged that sense of delusion or that sense of hopelessness and fear. What do you wish those on the outside knew about that? Anything you think of knew about that experience? You know, one thing I'd say is if the, the person who's experiencing it understood and knew all that was happening, yeah, then they would sort of know what to do. And so what that means is there has to be a, a slowness and a and a compassionate stance to them of knowing their inability to clearly articulate and communicate all that's going that's on. So you're going to have to be patient. You know, I think about me as a parent at times, like with my kid, and it's like, you know, something's happened. Yep. They broke something or whatever, and you're like, just tell me. Yeah, just tell me. But they're wrestling with this new experience that they've never experienced before. Yep. And no so, language. No yeah, language. It's a slowness for them to get to that place of being able to articulate what it is that has happened. Right. And it's the same for people that's going through that. Yeah. So there has to be just a patience of giving people time and let them know, hey, listen, I understand you don't understand all that's happening. And I'm not asking for you to skillfully communicate. I just want you to know. Yeah that you can share and seek to process it with me. Yeah. I'm just here to listen. That's great. Well, talk to us now about what was the turning point for you in that two weeks or did it lead to two months or what was, what was a turning point for you in being able to defeat that giant of, of delusion? How did God's light break through? Uh, and my next question just to kind of lead to it is were mm-hmm. there any disciplines that had to be in place to ensure that you didn't go down that road again? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I, I learned from that. What was it? Well, let's talk about the turning point first. Yeah, what, turning point. What? I think one of the keys for me, when I think back, just sort of off the cuff for me, is is I begin to see. I would say, like when you read Deuteronomy twenty eight, some of the curses of when you're not trusting God or when things are going wrong. I begin to see these. I felt like in my life. Mm. And so I begin to think, now, wait a minute. 
if by listening to the lies of the enemy or unbelief, these things can begin to happen, then what happens if I begin to, to believe the positive side of God's truth? Mm-hmm. And the other thing that helped me is I begin to think about, now wait a minute, just a month ago or a week ago or before this happened, I didn't feel any of this. Mm-hmm. I felt accepted by God. I felt close to God. Yeah. I was doing all I knew to do. I was praying. I was around God's people. And so I had encountered God's goodness and presence. And I began to think about, wait a minute, what I'm going through now doesn't change what I've already known and experienced in God. Yeah. So my point sort of is this, is I began to lock on to something Mm. that I was able to ground myself in that was outside of the momentary experience. Yeah, that's huge. Right. Right? Yeah. Because without that, there can be no stake or stability in this moment of instability. There has to be something outside of the delusion or the instability that you can begin to sort of, you know, build upon. Yeah. And that's what for me, it's like, wait a minute, if I'm experiencing some of the negative things of, of this, then what happens if I begin to trust God's word for his promises that are good? And then secondly, man, I wasn't like this just a month ago. Yeah. And so obviously there's some aspects of what I'm experiencing that doesn't tell the whole story. This is just something I'm going through momentarily. Yeah. So once you've come through the the, the bulk of it, were there clear principles? Were there clear spiritual disciplines that you put into place that in some sense safeguarded you from that giant of delusion again? Well, for me, it was allowing the Lord to take me through the process where the emotional trauma from that one moment was healed thoroughly. Mm. So I allowed God to begin to root me and create faith in me that his word is true no matter what my emotions say in a moment. Mm. So God began to teach me biblical faith that I, I that I don't have to be moved by what I feel in the moment. I'm moved by what God has said in his word. And so up to that point, again, you know, I'm two years, two and a half years into surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus and his call in my life. So having to demonstrate in a battle like this biblical faith I had never experienced it to this level. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit began to teach me biblical faith that it's not hypocrisy. It's not hypocritical to believe God's word at face value, even when I'm experiencing many things. I remember having a conversation saying, God, you said I've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption, crying on the Father. But I remember then saying, but why am I experiencing fear? Mm -hmm. Because that's all I knew at that moment. In, in my limited, you know, uh, maturity in Christ. But God began to teach me biblical faith that, hey, I can experience fear, but it don't come from God. God's not given me that, and therefore it doesn't have to be the lasting experience of my life. Yeah. That the weight of God's truth and word is greater than the weight of the trauma of my past or what I'm experiencing in the moment. Yeah. So I began to 
but that that confess is God's word, right? That is the that is the power and strength of hopelessness, right? Is that hopelessness paints a picture that it's a forever sentence? That's right, right? That's that's what people feel today, right? That if if someone's listening today and they're fighting their own giant, maybe it's not delusion, but it is sense of hopelessness. Maybe it's a, a sense of deep seated trauma, right? Um, you've given some great pointers in terms of finding something outside of that current experience that's stable. You've given the great experience uh, or pointer of giving people in my life that can cautiously but compassionately listen to me to help me process. And I was still around God's people through all of this. Yeah. So you didn't isolate. So even though I was vulnerable and being able to clearly communicate and open up to them, I was still in context where the word of God's being preached, spirit of God's manifesting. People are worshiping God. Did you feel like a phony in that time? Man, I felt like a lot. I did. Because, again, the delusion is the lies of the enemy at times was I was destined to hell. Yeah. And so here I am amongst God's people, and I'm thinking I'm not one of them. Yeah. And and but but let's, let's think for a moment. Would people feel phony if they're sitting in the ER room when their leg is half right. half torn off? I know. Like, but but that, I don't belong here. But that's what we think sometimes in the church, don't we? And that's why biblical faith becomes so important because the emotions are like roller coasters. Yeah. And they can be up and down. And they're untrustworthy, I, right? And if I'm dictating reality, yeah, on how I feel then it's, I'm going to be very vulnerable to the voice of the enemy because what we hear, yeah, if you listen to it long enough, will affect your emotions. Yeah. If you're listening to the the lies of the enemy and his delusion, it's going to affect your emotions. Absolutely. Let me, talk, let me ask, talk to us about this for a moment. Um, so, 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 you know, in psychology even, our temptation is to believe as humans is that um, we only allow our behavior to follow our emotions. So kind of the strength of depression, right, is that mm-hmm. don't get up out of bed, don't move, don't get, don't do anything. I don't feel like Correct. It. You don't feel like it. And psychology tells us is that from proprioceptive behavior, which is a big way of saying that essentially emotion follows action, and that God has called us to act, and in acting, the emotion will, yeah. legitimate emotion will follow it. You know, I use the ex- the expression or example all the time, Pastor Chad, of years ago they were studying this um, University of Pennsylvania. Uh, appropriate perceptive behavior, but put these nodules on this young man and were measuring his emotions, what was actually surging through his body. Uh-huh. And then they took him into a room and gave him a baseball bat and a pinata was hanging from the ceiling and he hit it for like 30, 30 seconds. It wasn't long. It was like a minute, 30 seconds, something like that. They come out and bring him out and they l- measure again and he has legitimate anger flowing mm-hmm. through his body. I and the whole point is, is that... Those pinatas are dangerous, boy. They yeah. get you riled up. But the point is, is that our, emotion, our, our emotions follow our actions. And so someone in delusion... Let's just talk for a moment. Someone in hopelessness, someone in a locked in the trauma of their past, and every subsequent relationship they keep dragging their past into their future mm-hmm. limits their ability to be vulnerable with new friendships or relationships because they think, well, if they really knew the real me, they would right. love me, care for me. I got to insulate, can't do like like in that moment. What would you tell somebody that feels that giant of delusion or hopelessness? What actions do do yeah. exactly what you're your brain tells you not to do? Well, I was reminded of, of you know, you're asking about what I began to learn and do yeah. during the process to get out of it. And one of the things I started doing is is giving thanks in the moment for every positive thing I could think about mm, in that's my good. life. Even while feeling overwhelmed? Yeah, and, and the thing about it is, and some have experienced this, 
But you remember I mentioned that mine was an emotional giant. Yeah. But that emotional giant began to affect me physically. So I began having a lot of physical pain, not because of not sleeping. And and even the psalmist talks about this, oh, yeah. right? That you his vitality was was became dry, his bone. And so I remember I, I was also working at the time and I would just thank God and say, Lord, I think you have ankles and feet to stand on. Lord, I thank you I still have the ability to drive. Lord, I think I have gas in the gas tank to drive. Yeah. Lord, I think you have money to be able to buy gas. And Lord, I thank you I have eyes that I can see. But mm-hmm. I began to try to in the moment ground myself also in thanksgiving. Well, gratitude and anxiety can't coexist, right? Well, it, it, I tell you what, it starts punching the anxiety big time. Yeah. Uh, and so that was one thing. The other thing is, is I began on top of that is enjoying again little things that I found pleasurable and doing it on a greater expression of gratitude and thanksgiving. So one of the things, believe it or not, that I began doing is drinking uh, the Nestle's strawberry milk. <laughs> you know the little bunny? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. dude. I Nestle, was, chocolate milk. But, you but I was on the strawberry kick, man. I was drinking like one a day. Given glory, if you'd have to told God, me ahead of time, I'd have brought you some. I would. I tell you what, get speak speaking tongues, <laughs> <laughs> bless my soul. But I. But you looked forward to it, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Seeing that created hope. Yeah. And that's I, what I'm saying. That's I the do point. think that one of the metaphors to me, this is not cliche, that does express hopelessness so well is no light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. Right. You see no way out. Yeah. And so I remember it's another thing. Sentence. You know, another thing I began to do to enjoy. Riding my bike. Oh, I started riding the bike. Yeah, it's a little easier on your knees. It than was, running. dude. It was, and the wind blowing. You know, you. you I, I felt a, a little bit of alive yeah. in that moment yeah. when it, when everything else around me seemed. But these to, are all action oriented, right? They are. Got to do actions. You have to, and um, you can't sit back in passivity because that's what ultimately. If the you're delusion. waiting until you feel different, yeah, to do something, you're going to stay. And extend the season you're in. Mm-hmm. You you have to demonstrate a, an action of trust towards God, and you know God has given us these good things to enjoy. Yep. So you you do the act of something you enjoy. It's God who's made that available. You give Him thanks for it, and that's moving it forward. And listen, when you've been in that despair so long, any sense of moving forward. Man, it seems powerful. Oh, yeah. You know, one flicker of hope is powerful when you've been in such a Absolutely. dungeon of delusion. Wow, that's powerful. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Um, what what would happen if churches today uh, addressed the issue of hopelessness, the issue of depression, the issue of this deep-seated fear, giant of delusion? What would What would happen in these churches if they began to treat what we've talked about today with the understanding you've given. Like, what would that look like in people's lives? Would it accelerate? Would it would it cause this giant in mass level to be slayed a whole lot quicker? Because, man, that is a giant that, and I'm speaking, delusion is one word for it, but this giant specifically, this feeling of hopelessness you feel, mm-hmm. right? It's It's dominating. That's a dominating experience for people's life. What happened? And people even in the church. I mean, obviously outside, but like what, what would happen if the church 
begin to address it with that type of understanding. Yeah. I Instead mean, of shying away or unwilling to talk about it or not deal with it or not wanting to fight, confront that giant. Yeah, many things. Um, you know, I think one, if you're intentional and aggressive of saying, hey, there's space in the sense that we understand that Scripture and saints and people that's followed the Lord have experienced seasons like this. So we're not shying away from acknowledging that these seasons have been the experience for many. Mm. I think that's powerful. Yeah. The other part, though, that's difficult on the other side is once the space is there and there's acknowledgement, there is, like what you mentioned, a myro factor, something on the person experiencing it has to be willing to respond. Yeah. At some point, they have to be willing to trust someone or to take advice or to do something. Right. And so that's the part of in this process, how it ends up for each individual. It's hard to know. But I think the key is if we're intentional to say, hey, we understand, and we understand it's not easy, at least that gives people a space to be able to consider possibility of ways or things they could do to move forward. Yeah. But but that was one of the things. I think if I w didn't have some of the other dysfunctions in my life, uh, insecurities or vulnerability to not open up and share, if I didn't have some of those things, I would have been able to move through quicker because God, by His Spirit, would have used others to, to bring a sense of stability and truth to delusion and errors and lies I was listening to. And so that's why, for me, it, it became so difficult because it was like this perfect storm. Yeah. It, you know, um, all factors, multiple factors. It seemed like the enemy was able to play off in that delusional uh, issue from trauma of my past. Um, but I do think at least no one would be able to say the church in their theology and in the practice of their theology give no place for the possibility of a believer experiencing yeah. such emotions of hopelessness you know uh old type of phrase a dark soul of the night yeah dark night of the is, soul is yeah. not even practical or possible or plausible yeah. i think just diffusing that you know helps obviously a yeah. lot well what we'll do i want to we're going to we're going to close up episode 7 uh, episode 6 here we're going to come back in episode 7 yeah. and i'm going to share it's my story. story yeah so but, but let's do this L let's say this question first or save this question for last is what what deep-seated empathy has been built in your life that God has, in essence, turned your mess into your message? He's turned your your misery into your ministry. Like, do you sense a deep anointing to be able to help people navigate that and sense that God used that now in your life and ministry? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think, one, um, it's given me the capacity to never judge someone— in such a place because mm. now I understand yeah. how you can get there. And I didn't bring it up, but obviously had a lot of thoughts and images of ending it. Yeah. The only reason I didn't do it personally is because I feared going to hell. Uh, I mean, that, yeah. that's, that was that's what preserved you. Yeah, that was what preserved mm -hmm. me, the fear of hell. Yeah. And, um, and so, but I see how people can get oh, to that place. So in that sense, I never look at someone and say, man, how could they do that? Or how would they consider that? 
I know how you can get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know how the enemy can seek to isolate and get you there. So in that sense, great empathy, merciful lack of judgment. The other thing is I think there's just a authority to be able to communicate hope mm-hmm. that change and transformation is possible. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm a, I'm a living epistle to yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I have by the grace of God experienced his refiner's fire that has healed that trauma. And I, I don't fear rejection from God, the father. Now I'm yeah. secure in his love. I don't fear eternal damnation. Mm-hmm. I have a spiritual and a soul rest found in Jesus. Mm-hmm. He went there on my behalf. So I don't ever have to, do that and my trust is in him um so whatever the hopelessness is the ability to authoritatively speak and say listen this doesn't have to be the end of your story and god's not done and god can the other part for me that still it's really hard for people in the midst of pain to not go ahead and resign that their story is over very difficult. Right. And if you get to a place where there can be a deep seated confidence that while in the pain, right, my whole story's not been written. Yeah. Think about this. That's the glimmer of hope, right? Yeah, think about this. But it's a, but, but I think you bring it up at the authoritative statement. Yeah, because right? it's authoritatively declaring to someone. Correct. The authority of God That's what cuts through the delusion. The authority yeah, the authority of God's found in his word. Yeah. But it's also found in the character of Christ and in the manifestation of Christ. So any place Christ has been formed. And the victory of Christ has overcame something in a person. And so now Christ is living through that. There's authority there. Yeah. It's Christ's authority being manifest. And, uh, you know, we have obviously in the doctrine of the church and practice of the church, the laying on of hands. Right. To assist people with physical presence that God's near, God's cared, you're loved. But at times, man, when you're hopeless, there also needs to be the practice of people lending you your their eyes. Yeah. I can't see what God sees about me. I can't see that there's hope. But, hey, brother, sister, let me lend you yes, my right. eyes. Yeah, it's good. This is not your end. That's good. Through That's Christ, good. you can be more than a conqueror. He can transform. He can deal with it. And so I want to lend you my eyes. I want to lend you my hope, lend you my faith. Yeah. Uh, and then the other part that's difficult about it, Pastor Craig, is that there is also this knowing uh, of and and this is the restrictive part of the cross of having to accept that you can do all you can to assist, but in the end, people have to open up in the midst of the pain to receive the help, mm-hmm. to receive the counsel. Mm-hmm. And so there's also in me this sense of understanding that there is a unique working that happens in the ministry of the Spirit and people in that situation. And I'm willing to be used and assist, but I am limited because the person has to sort of trust and 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 be vulnerable or open enough to be led. Right. And at times it's difficult for people. Absolutely. Um, and so I understand that in a sense that it don't frustrate me as much yeah. because I know that it, it, people that at times looked me in the eyes and said, Chad, just do this. Yeah. And I I didn't do it because I wasn't able to trust them in that point mm. that it would help. Right. So, right. 
Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you so much sharing your story today, and I know it's helpful for those that are watching and listening. And uh, it's really powerful, really powerful, and it's certainly prevalent in so many people's experience. So I know in pastoring people myself, not only the giant of delusion, but a giant of hopelessness that mm-hmm. just begins to rob people of any vision in sight. And people are in pain long enough, they lose all foresight, right? They lose any ability to think about it a different does. future. So affects your mental capacity and your emotions and absolutely your will absolutely you know absolutely so, well we appreciate jesus is more than able more than able right christus victor restore. jesus is the victor said the spirit of the lord me the lord is upon me to heal the broken heart yeah that's the trauma and he sure can do i've it. been reading back through cory ten boom who survived you know the nazi camp after mm-hmm. nazi camp and helping fellow jews and um, she said her father was a watchmaker. I've shared this story, but the thing that just so ministered to me back in that, she has an autobiography called The Hiding Place, is yeah. that her her father from a young age, right over her kitchen counter, had Christus Victor, Jesus' Victor, over everything. And so to the very dying day, mm-hmm. no matter what she faced in life, it was always Jesus is already victorious over it. And that preserved her through the way worse than what we've circumstances that seem to yeah. say the opposite it, absolutely for sure so what a substance of faith there. that's right so appreciate you sharing today that's yeah. gonna be a wrap on episode number six here hey but you know people not to you know yeah do a little plug but we walk people through all of this for my personal journey but within yeah. teaching of scripture through divine design for discipleship online yeah. and transformation phase and uh i go through a lot of specific stories of what sanctification transformation look like in my life and it's d3discipleship.teachable.com but you can sign up and go through it yeah we'll put what we'll do is we'll put that here on the description as well for this youtube uh, uh episode but let me just add to that. So so what we call what he's saying, divine design for discipleship is what also we call growth, growth phases, phases in our local church right. where not just hundreds have gone through it here, but now thousands because it's been previous Globally, churches yeah. and other churches now uh, that have adopted it. And uh, verifiably through the testimony of so many witnesses, God has used it powerfully to transform and to form Christ in people's hearts and lives. And so uh, if you are not a part of our church or you're a leader watching from another congregation, we would love, I know Pastor Chad would love to entertain a conversation with you about how you could do D3 in the context of where you're at. So I just got into conversation today with somebody at church who's moving to Elizabethton, Tennessee, and has the heart and desire to maybe within a smaller context start uh, divine design for discipleship. So, praise the Lord. Be a great, great opportunity, and we'll put that link here as well. So, thanks again for joining us. Episode number six. We'll be back next we'll week. See you next time. That's right. Let's episode talk. seven. God bless. Good.